What's up, world? It's Justin Staple here. Of all the smoke, you listen to the debut episode, episode number one of the official All the Smoke podcast. It's called Smoke and Mirrors. On episode one, we got Tim Kinsella, founding member of Cap and Jazz, author, lead singer of Joan of Arc, Make Believe, Owls, and more. He's a Chicago legend. But first, I'm going to call All the Smoke co-founder Tyler Benz. We're going to break the podcast down for you guys and play a little music. Thanks for checking it out. Recording. Wow. Debut episode. Debut episode, my young man. How are you? I'm good. I'm a little tired. All the excitement of the Super Bowl. I took a three stack of melatonin right after, so Damn. off the melly. Are you happy we you have know. a podcast now? Yeah, I'm excited. I think it's going to be a good way to um, get some interesting guests across the ATS network. I wanted to ask you who your ideal guest would be. I could start. I'm going to say, okay, who are you? I haven't, I haven't really. I was out. thinking about it earlier while I was doing some uh, reps, and I was like, who would be the ideal guest? And I was like, I need to hit Chet Hanks, get him on this bitch. Chet Hanks should be number one on the list without question. Dang. I need to, I need his workout plan. I need his vitamin stack recommendation because I'm trying to build mine out right now. And honestly, I need him to be my personal trainer. What's up, guys? I got something on my mind and I want to share it. I don't know who needs to hear this, okay? But check this out. You are so much closer to your goals than you are to starting over. You are so much closer to the life that you desire than you are to going back to the drawing board. The only thing that's holding you back is your own self-imposed limitations about yourself. The beliefs that you have bought into that are lies. Chet Hayes turned out so much cooler than the dude from the movie Orange County and Tom Hanks. I just don't know how yeah. they're all on the same bloodline. I don't know. It's crazy, but Chet Hanks is the fucking man. I'm going to play one of his rap songs. Yeah, let's go. What's good? It's your boy Chet Hayes. I'm in the studio finishing up the mixtape, Get Hayes. Um, just, my homie just showed me this beat, and... It's like unanimous decision. It's absolute fire. So I gotta go in and flow on it right now. Uh, yeah, it's Chad Hayes, baby. 2010 freestyle coming at y'all. Yeah, check it out. Bust just go off. Check it. With the ski pole in your peephole Hey creepo, I'm sharp like the space needle Nobody's equal to me Cause I'm the fucking illest So listen while I tell you what the deal is And if you don't feel this, fuck you cause I'ma kill this I'm a young gun, you are old bits Like your name's Phyllis Shit, I told you I'm the realest And if you talking shit, then what the fuck you talking about, Willis? I rock Gotti bling, I let the shoddy sting Step to me, get beat down like Rodney King By four cops, busting off like four sides From four glocks, freestyling like I'm on the Venice boardwalk or the boardwalks of Venice I ain't old dog, but I guarantee you I'm a menace Oh God, I spit too hard for my dentist And get my balls served more than Serena playing tennis I'm a rocket, yeah 
a bitch, I'm blasting off. Yeah, I floss so hard, I'm at your boss. So past the noise, cuss bitch, I'm crashing off. In college is I, but I ain't asking for. I'm the man with the fastest scam and the cash at hand, blowing up more than Afghanistan. Yeah, drawing up more than a rasta fan, and I'ma keep getting money, homie. That's the plan. I thought I told you. Yeah, I would like to get um some MMA fighters on here. I'd like to get Frankie Edgar on to explain why he got KO'd by that knee uh, two days ago. What are some artists that you'd want to do music videos for right now? I think on the come up, Pusheisty is my number one, who seems like he has all of his shit together, which I appreciate. <laughs> yeah, new 1017 artist. Shout out to you. Yeah, I get it, shit in blood, huh? Bitch, I got my own if I don't need security in the club. All they wolfing on the net, nigga, I thought you was a thug. I ain't got nowhere to go, I shot up everywhere they was. Yeah, you know who took this shit from you, come get it back in blood. Brr, brr. Bitch, come get it back in blood. We ain't mask up, no Dodger X, niggas know who it was. It's doing shit just like the 80s, want some back, get it in blood. Yeah, you know who took this shit from you, come get it back in blood. If your nigga killer ain't dead. I don't know. What do you think? Well, who who do you want to do a video for next? You know, we've been talking a little bit about Slime Life Shoddy. I finally checked out his music. This is probably an artist not a lot of people are familiar with, but real up and coming uh, artist who uh, claps on his songs and that's kind of gone viral. Where you can clap really fast to get fired up. Don't worry about the car I drove. Don't worry about the car I drive. Don't worry about the bitch I fuck. Don't worry about the bitch she ride. Don't worry about the block I beat when a nigga got hit and he almost died. Besides that, <laughs> I, you know, I think Will Oldham, Body Prince Billy is more in our reach than than we think. I think maybe yes. that could be on the annual checklist. Bugatti, Bill Callahan. A lot of what I've been listening to right now is like Limp Biscuit, Dave Matthews Band. I'm still kind of in this like 99 Woodstock mode. I woke up and watched Limp Biscuit 99 again, and I wanted to actually play the soundbite live performance, 80 minutes. It'll be a part of a yeah. About in 20 minutes in, they played about four songs, and security tells them to calm people down, and he's like, "They're telling us to chill out. That's what Alanis Morissette just did to you fuckers. That's Birkenstock rock." I'ma tell you, shove those Birkenstocks up your ass. It's 1999, <laughs> and they start jamming out. I, I think I don't, I don't that. condone the Birkenstock hate, but still a legend nonetheless. Uh, hey, hey, hey! They want to ask us to ask you to mellow out a little bit. They say too many people are getting hurt. Don't let nobody get hurt. But I don't think you should mellow out. Mellowing out? That's what Alanis Morissette just had you motherfuckers do. Birkenstock rock, y'all. This is 1999, motherfucker. Take your Birkenstocks and stick them up your fucking ass. 
when he says it's 1999, shove your Birkenstocks up your ass. But now everyone will wear a Birkenstock, a Cole Bennett. <laughs> Probably Fred's in the Birkenstock. Fred is wearing Birkenstocks right now. Sure, Come really on. changes. Time ages everyone. You'll be happy about this. I, um, As you know, I had Tim Kinsella on and I asked him what he thought about Machine Gun Kelly and like, you know, the commercialization of cringe punk aesthetics. Well, yeah, what did he he well, was like, I, I will find out right now. <laughs> whenever I see some super cringe, like subversion of modern punk, whether it be like a Machine Gun Kelly on SNL or some of his new album or some of what's going on in rap, I'm always curious kind of what people from the 90s who are living DIY punk to the fullest and really moving the genre feel when they when they see that stuff. Um, oh, you know, it's funny. Like I sometimes I see like a headline like if, or something like machine gun kelly is like trending or something and i, I have no idea who he is or what he does it, it's it's a weird spot to be in because it's sort of like you get to be a certain age and you're like oh this just sounds like this and this you know like it's hard to not be reductive of like oh that's been done before that's a much We're, kinder and gentler way of touching it i feel like mm-hmm. a lot of uh my friends and stuff are like absolutely fuck that Stop trying to recreate 90s pop punk. Stop. You look terrible in your pink leather jacket. You look terrible with your anarchy keychains, your anarchy. Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't have, you know, I'm like a 46-year-old guy (laughs) who's just been like doing this forever. So it's not like that doesn't really enter my universe, you know. But at the same time, I have no idea who Machine Gun Kelly is. And that's like the language that all these the kids speak. so I just, I don't know. Well, those of us that I, I don't... who have read our David Shields and understand media and pop culture studies right, know right. that Machine Gun Kelly doesn't matter. <laughs> He'll be gone tomorrow. It's just a force I mean, of the corporate record labels pushing a new image on you that they know will sell But something. it's like there, you know, there's some, there's some kids somewhere that like in like Des Moines, Iowa or something who has like no access to channel the like, squelched rebellion inside them except for machine gun kelly i was curious i i I always think about you know i was listening to the first owls record while i was biking the other day and obviously we keep an alphabet pontology on a heavy spin over here one of the best albums of all time i was curious like do you ever think about that kid in des moines um 16 15 not a lot of access and they come across that first cabin jazz album for the first time and that feeling that that kid might have do you, you know <laughs> yeah no it's weird it's so weird because with that record and maybe a couple of the first Joan of Arc records you know because I see the royalty statements so I know there's like kids that keep buying them and it is like a sort of subculture entry point for people if everyone that ever went through a phase of liking me liked it at the same time it, you know it could be huge I get very excited when I'll queue up my Spotify cap and jazz and I'll see two and a half million streams on Oh Messy Life or two million on Lucky. Right <laughs> oh, that's crazy. I've never looked. These streams are ran up on N Alphabetic Pontology. Me and Andreas talk about it a lot. And that just makes us so happy because that album, I can imagine young people listening to that for the first time and either helping them through something or just changing their perspective on poetry, lyrics, music, all of that. And, um, Here's the thing that's weird about it. It was totally instinctual 
I dare say primal at the time. I mean, and we were like, you know, we were druggy fuck up kids. And this was like the entire central meaning in our lives. Like we were so, we were all so 100% invested. And we really did have a feeling of like being channels. Like we weren't like maestros crafting it. We were like just channeling what the universe wanted us to do you know and we we would talk about this as like fucking teenagers like i don't know and and i guess that's just like instinct as a creative person but then as you get older as one gets older it's a lot of people lose that like i mean if i think of the number of friends of mine that played in bands in their 20s that thought that's what they were doing for their lives and now you know they work they have like a couple kids in the house and a mortgage and work for a marketing company or something and it's just like you're a certain age and you're like so tapped into it and it's so interesting like obviously rock isn't in the same place it was back then but when you did those reunion shows at fyf and echoplex and seeing the 10,000 15,000 kids screaming every lyric back to you and carrying through the crowd that was a sublime moment and it really just highlighted that that album is a timeless huge masterpiece and all these kids will know it, even though what well, it was a 2018, and you wouldn't think there'd be 10,000 kids moshing to Cap and Jazz, but it was a yeah, it was a moment. It's a combination of him not knowing who he is and him uh, <laughs> the most punk answer. not understand. Machine Gun Kelly is barred from this podcast unless he wants to throw hands. The reason I bring him up and like Mod Son and Avril Lavigne, now he's dating Avril Lavigne, is like the way the 99 pop punk aesthetic is trying to come back is in this very mutilated, cringe core way where the it cringe really is. is almost better. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of similar to, like, how fake news and, like, outrageous shit took over politics. Now, just, like, the more clicks and eyeballs you can get, even if it's, like, hate-watching, makes you successful. Especially the world. I was at the mall yesterday and was peeping Hot Topic, and there was just, like, a lot of teens with their parents waiting to go into that Hot Topic, copying the City Morgue merch, the MGK merch. It was was a lot. Tough time to be a teenager. I feel like when we came up in high school, at least where I grew up in Seattle, if you 
wore Hot Topic and skinny jeans and stuff, you would get, like, that was lame as fuck. It was like we were listening to, like, DMX and 50 Cent and stuff. And if you were listening to Dashboard Confessional, you were a fucking idiot. <laughs> that was just my opinion, though. No, absolutely. I don't think in North Carolina there was one Hot Topic and there's two kids we knew who would go to it. Yeah, I wish uh, if we're going to recreate this, like, early 2000s aesthetic, I need... I need like a, a DMX to come into the fold. Speaking right, of DMX, I people pop smoke, but what about DMX Mike Servant track? Yeah, the song is amazing. The video is amazing. Shout out Mike Servant. Jesus Christ! Forever. I love you, God. I love you, God. We had talked about maybe doing that video, which I kind of regret not doing now. Yeah, I would love to work with Mike Servant. I think he's one of the best artists out right now. No irony whatsoever. They did quickly ask me if I was a believer in Jesus Christ, in which I said I was. But yeah. that kind of turned me off to the process. <laughs> I mean, I think uh, he's kind of an internet meme, obviously, but I, I, he does believe in the power of the almighty, I believe, right? Absolutely. I'm talking to him about maybe a feature documentary film in our wheelhouse, in the All the Smoke Pictures wheelhouse. I think. I love that. Very inspirational what story. What denomination is he? Mormon Mike Servin? I don't think there's a Mormon rapper that I know. I mean, I'm sure they exist, but I don't know off top. We should discover him and or her. Anyone not familiar, this is someone um, John Ross put me on to when he had we seated him Seventh Heaven and had him shoot a lookbook for it. And he like lives with his parents and he's always waking up and annoying his parents in the morning. Just going like, Jesus Christ! And his dad's like, get a job! He's like, ah, oh, Jesus Christ! He's yeah. like literally the best. Go check him out on Instagram. At yeah, Servin. We should probably describe who we're talking about before actually talking about them. First episode, come on, give, cut us a, give us a break. Tell people, so what can people expect from this podcast? I mean, this podcast is kind of, we're going going with the flow, so to speak. Going to try to have some interesting guests on, um, have them reveal some interesting aspects of themselves, and just talk about shit that we like, I think. MMA, crypto, music, marijuana, <laughs> I don't know. What's new in the crypto space? I hear um, you're up train Chainlink now. I'm a fully in on Chainlink. I don't know. I, I thought about this before I go into it. I thought about this as if we should talk about crypto or not, because I feel like it's kind of like, it's kind of like talking about like, your fantasy team or something like no one fucking cares <laughs> but fuck it let's just go into it 
Yeah, I'm fully in Chainlink, and it's looking good. Papa Elon is fucking boosting the market today, which we all like to see. All the smoke so, has their own cryptocurrency, so we're definitely going to talk about it. I actually talk about it with yeah. Tim Kinsella. <laughs> oh, okay, nice. Because he was like, by the end of the podcast, I was like, you got any questions for me, Tim? And he was like, what are you up to right now? And I was like, have you heard of DeFi and decentralized finance? He was like, what right. are you talking about? He was like, wow, right. hell yeah. Make him a whale. A- ATS coin up next to the fucking moon. You know what I'm saying? Go check out that ATS coin link in bio. If you're, on, <laughs> if you're listening to Twitter. Link in description. Link in also description. You know what? Yeah. I'm going to put this shit on Patreon. If you subscribe, I'm going to send you free ATS coin. Hell yeah. And then we have funny shit too. Like we have our own cryptocurrency that's out now. We have our natural wine label coming out. Um, cryptocurrency. All, yeah, we have a, all the smoke cryptocurrency that I'm super proud of. And it's uh, it's about decentralized finance because the whole thing you probably see in the news how the banks are screwing the little man and stuff. So a lot of comp sci nerds are developing infrastructures that don't rely on banks or central finance systems. And they kind of got me involved in a lot of that through various friends and we launched our own decentralized cryptocurrency that oh i will say yeah i think um what's happening right now is there's a barrier to entry to getting into cryptocurrency and it reminds me i was talking to someone about this yesterday the first act of my new movie american rap star the follow-up to your war i'm one of you Mm. is about the transition of mp3 and napster and the resistance to that to the full amalgamation of spotify and how streaming rules everything now and um when i look at some of the stuff happening in crypto and decentralized finance it reminds me of those early days of the Uh. mp3 and putting yourself in that mind state of this will never work Uh, i remember when house of cards came out on netflix people were like "A a big tv show will never work hbo will be around forever and legacy but we're there with crypto right now that three years from now it will be what everyone's using and, and um wow so yeah we've dived in and if yeah <laughs> i mean we don't have much money but if you have a smart way to, for us to put it the best way to flip it and i can talk to you off pot about this too is buy some big stable coins in coinbase or gemini that we like with the Winklevoss mm-hmm. twins and you kind of just watch that stuff come out and then budget your life to see what your monthly expenses are. You know, we put it all on a credit card so we can look at that mm. and then you just pull out when you need it. But Gemini is launching a credit card as well that when you pay for it, you'll be earning crypto. So the idea of it is that as crypto is popularized and modernized throughout the next three years, that stack will um, build up. Right. But you see, it's kind of nerdy and stupid. So it's like, no, can you email me like the basic details? Then? absolutely will and i'll send you some all the smoke coin all right that'd be amazing yeah i think this went well i'm i'm looking forward to the tim kinsella interview so there we go we talk about uh cap and jazz album number two he's so different than like the average rapper we would interview like he's making eight songs a day and he holds these insane um foundational rules to the lyrics and the sounds (laughs) he's a godfather of this shit so very exciting interview. We'll catch you next time on Smoke and Mirrors. Of course, of course, of course, of course. Of course, they deny science and they
course, of course, of course, of course, of course. Of course, they bend your mind, make you wonder why. Cause if they insist, time exists, they imply. Evolution's an ongoing process, and then their powers compromise. Hey, how you been, Hi. Tim? Uh, just, you know, time warp and who knows? It's crazy. Really? Last time. No, no, go ahead. Last time I saw you was at Rainbow Room, Chicago, where so many good things happened throughout the, throughout the years. It's true. I missed it very much. You've stayed pretty busy during quarantine, I feel like. Being like kind of stuck in the house isn't that weird for me half the year you know it's like i would i would like for years i've been like pretty motivated to like keep a disciplined creative schedule at home and like work long days and not see anyone but then i do that for a month and i wouldn't be home for a month you know then i do that for a month and i wouldn't be home for a month and also when i was doing it then i could like you know, walk down the street and get a sandwich or go in the rainbow and for an hour. And so, yeah, so I, I, I had an advantage to a lot of people. That's not it wasn't as bizarre to me to stay home and work. Does any, any part of you miss the touring right now? Or are you kind of liking mm, the little mm. break off? I don't miss playing shows. Um, <clears throat> I miss seeing shows a lot. Um. And I do miss traveling. I miss uh, long drives and airports and hotels and different restaurants and seeing friends. And I miss everything about traveling except, I, yeah, for some reason I don't mind. It's kind of nice to like not be looked at, you know, like the like playing part of playing shows part of it. It'll be a year tomorrow since the last time we played a show. I really miss seeing other people play very much. That's got to be the longest you've ever gone without playing a show, right? Oh, yeah. By far. I mean, but that's for everyone, right? Now, I got to say, the last Joan of Arc record, Tim Molina, Theo, Bobby, such a perfect record. I loved it. Ah, thank, thank you. We've Thanks been listening so to it like nonstop. I really, awesome. really like it. Thank you. Where are you? I'm in Palm Desert, California right now. You know, LA has been... Uh, war zone kind of a dystopia much like the yeah. michael bay film songbird that just came out to the point <coughs> where uh, we had national guard tanks rolling down my street and full chaos and uh at a certain point i was like I need to get out of here <laughs> yeah yeah understood what's uh so how long you been out huh i've set up base here for about since a week before christmas we kind of did a fast rush mm. to finish a ton of work Obviously, all the film festivals canceled, all the shoots right. more or less canceled. And, you know, we kind of hang out in L.A., play tennis, go on hikes together, hang out. But it's impossible to really create there right now. Um, right. <clears throat> all the restaurants closing, all the windows boarded up, which was part of when I thought about having you on the podcast. I was like, the world needs Tim's voice now more than ever, because a lot of this 
dystopia I feel like you've written about <laughs> in your novels yeah, yeah. is uh, you're, you're aware of kind of the human psyche in that way. And um, I was you like, know, it's, I needed to know your opinions about the current times. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. The reason that like I have 5,000 books in my apartment is like years ago, I got obsessed with peak oil, like, I don't know, 15 years ago. And, um, and I was just sure that the power grid would eventually be unsustainable. Um, so I was like, well, I'm going to need a lot of entertainment someday, some way to keep myself occupied. So I just never like sold a book back. I just kept every book I got and I bought a lot of books because I was like, I was sort of always anticipating that. Uh, it's, you know, the one thing that's like, someone else actually pointed out this to me that I said this on like a little spoken word interlude on like a weird collage solo thing I made years ago. Um, field recordings of dreams. You get it like field of dreams by WP Kinsella. So I did field recordings of dreams and there was like some like little like spoken word parts like floating through it. And one of them was about like, uh, how the apocalypse isn't a sudden thing, but it's actually like a process and a grayscale and it like gets uh, boring at times. <laughs> and so I think that was part of the, I think no one was prepared psychologically for like just how we experience time now is so weird. The like push and pull of like how much things are speeding up, but also slowing down. When this all started happening, you know, when I look back on um, Sunshine Have an Open Tomb and a lot of the themes yeah. you had done was part of you when this started happening, like, I told you so, guys. Okay. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But it's not like satisfying. But it is like, it is like I never, I always felt free to like be, you know, just like scrape by as a weirdo and not like super worry about finding a career or something. And I never bothered quitting smoking and it never occurred to me that I wanted to have kids. Cause I was just like, man, I don't know. Like this seems like a lot of interlocking problems here. I mean, obviously things are, it's a great relief to not have, you know, the white power psychos in the highest positions of authority. So like, that's a great relief, but it's still obviously very scary. And that was a, a fight, a four-year fight. And I really loved how you were vocal about this. I mean, I, I knew your work in the Bush era, the Clinton era, the Obama era, and to see <clears throat> your output during the Trump era, I was just happy that you were vocal and, and always were pushing for very awesome stuff in Chicago. Thanks, yeah. I mean, you know, it's not, um, it's not like some altruistic thing. I have to live in this world, too. <laughs> you know? It's very... Um, there was a lot of, yeah, I mean, everyone, the anxiety is unsustainable, you know, the anxiety is very unsustainable when you talk about field of, um, or sorry, field recordings of dreams, the piece that you're referring to hit me so hard too. When I first heard it, I want to say that it opens my documentary about you in a cold oh, right. open that those right, very lines, <laughs> Oh, is it those lines about the, right. I think it's a different section of the same song you're talking about. 
Right. I forgot that uh, a lot of songs from that were on that, the soundtrack to that. That cold open, you know, I juxtaposed <laughs> that with you as a 19-year-old. It kind of did um, summarize a lot of what I feel like your aesthetic has maintained throughout the last 30 years. Mm. And um, it kind of came to me in like a psychedelic flash that that should be the first right. thing people see. <laughs> right. That's great. I mean, you know, my aesthetic, it's really like a practical, like, um, what's that word? My grandpa was like a, uh, drove like one of those scrap metal trucks. I don't know if they have those in other cities, but in Chicago, maybe cities without alleys don't have them. I mean, there must be a version everywhere. We're like in the alleys in Chicago, there's just like trucks just piled of scrap metal, like with ropes around it. And it's like, a lot of the time it looks like hard to believe they can balance. And um, yeah, I've always felt sort of like a, um, like a hermit crab creatively of just like, you know, my aesthetic, it's, it's never so much conscious as like me and my thoughts, feelings, like expressed through what I have access to, you know what I mean? So like, um, yeah, I definitely feel like I'm taking things and just putting things that already exist together in various ratios. And that ratio sort of expresses my sensibilities, but it's not, I don't know. I guess I, I don't mean to get hung up on your use of the term, my aesthetics. I just, didn't want it to sound like I, I guess I wanted to make it clear that it was never a, it's never been a very intentionally crafted thing. You know what I mean? Like Christ, Christian death or something. They got to look. <laughs> if you look at your work, I mean, it spans so many different ideas and so many different mediums from film to novels to published tour diaries, which I absolutely <clears throat> love, as you know. And the new one, relatively new that you sent me. Thank you so much. Timmy's Unbuttoned <laughs> Gen Z Meditations. Oh yeah. It's just masterful. I thank I you. Just, anyone listening needs to go listen to that in full ASAP. Um, it's my opinion. And I think others too, that you're one of the best writers of our time. And, and oh. I've always really thought that. Thank you. I mean, I don't know how to understand that, but <laughs> I have my habits. <laughs> Could we talk yeah. about sunshine on, on an open tune for a moment? I know you work really hard on that novel over a number of years. So I was really excited when it came out yeah. and I was really excited when it started getting good reviews too. There was a lot of people and um, formidable reviewers who really got it and published some great stuff about it. What was the process of putting that book together like for you and the decision to finally <laughs> publish it? Uh, well, it was seven years I worked on it. I really was terrified that um, the initial idea was I was so terrified that Jeb Bush was going to be the Republican nominee in 2016. So I started it in maybe 2011 thinking, uh, okay, I'm going to do my part and just like put this Bush, ba uh, Bush bashing book, Bush bashing book out um, to do my small part. And then, you know, it was when I started it, 
before I wrote the first draft, I had an 82,000 word outline, <laughs> which is like, to give you some perspective, the final published book is about 75,000 words. So my outline was so detailed, it was longer than the final book ended up being. My first draft was like 220,000 words. So, you know, the average novel is like maybe 60 to 100,000 words. Um, so it was just this monster. So then it was just years of chipping away at it. And um, this is funny, but the morning of the 2016 election, I on that like that morning, I thought I was done with the book. Like I thought like, okay, nothing left to do. And then Trump won that night. And I was like, oh my God, like, I need to reimagine this thing now. There was no like clear big shift. It was just like a bunch of little decisions to make it still meaningful. Cause you know, like everything that <clears throat> in that book that I thought was so crazy is like so tame compared to everything. I know. It went from fiction to nonfiction real quick. Yeah. I know, that's what I point to when I'm like, the, I told you so stuff. I would, you know, it's like in Southland Tales, some of these old works started seven years ago about the path we're heading yeah. came so true in that one. Yeah. And so now we're working on the new Good Fuck record. And it's, uh, we're so deep into it because, you know, we don't leave the house. So. And, you know, we're married and we're the whole band. So it's pretty much all we do every waking moment. And it's occurred to me that it's the first time I'm making a record in about 12 years, I guess, that I'm not working on a book at the same time. 13 years. And so it feels really good to have that space available for the music now, that mental space. Good Fuck is an amazing project. First Thank of all, you. I really love where you're going with it sonically. Thanks. Feels like something new for you, somewhat you experimenting, pushing yourself forward, um, but also having fun and a very unique mm -hmm. stuff and doing it with Jen, which is a blast. I think I, you know, there's a there's a part in Sunshine about um, the fall of the Soviet Union and how when society collapsed, everyone just kept going to work because they didn't know what else to do. Um, so how, like, we, to not feel crazy, have, like, created really intense daily schedules that we stick to really hardcore. So it's, like, the first two hours every day, we're just, we're both reading. And then we eat breakfast. Then there's, like, an hour of writing. Um, then we exercise for an hour. Then we got an hour of tech where we just work on like, uh, like, okay, I'm going to learn how to program this synthesizer or I'm going to learn how to sync this drum machine with this, you know, like the stuff that's not fun about playing music. And then we have an admin hour where like we respond to emails and do mail order and stuff. And then we get stoned and play music for eight hours. But we also have in that, like, we both know what we're looking at each day. So, like, 
each of us did a revision of a song that made this first cut of 24. We actually, yeah, each, each of us did a revision yesterday of the songs that made the first cut. And now we won't hear them for two weeks because there's, that's like 12 days of each of us focusing on one song before we listen back and switch who, who does a pass on each one, you know? So, um, yeah, it's very regimented. That is a great process. I also subscribe myself to a very regimented creative process daily that includes admin and tech in my own little way. But what you're That's describing great. is perfect. I mean, I always look back to Kanye's rap camp with my beautiful dark twisted fantasy where it was like, Hawaii, no phones, no internet. Here's the schedule. We're up at seven, pineapple breakfast, hour of basketball. We're in studio 20 hours, revising, yeah. revising. And young people, you're listening to a master here on the other line who's 35 timeless albums deep, maybe. So he has really refined the process for you guys and just gave me. Well, I, I can't help with sales, though. <laughs> it's not a, I don't know. I have no idea. We, we, we have some real. I don't, I don't feel like on my deathbed or some shit, I'm going to look back and be like, oh, that Captain Jazz reunion was a real highlight. You know, it's like, fuck that. Like, this new good fuck shit is going to be bigger than any of it, I think. And uh, I mean, I don't care how that sounds to people. Like, I believe it. So, I completely agree. I think, I think the emergence is imminent and we're going to have 10,000 kids moshing a good fuck, maybe at a <laughs> level stadium stage. I, I think I it's closer so. than we think. I think maybe this yeah, year. I think I'm like, I think I'm like supposed to be embarrassed to have that attitude. Like, cause you know, there's like guys my age that I like follow on Instagram or something who were like in bands when I was younger and I'll see how they go about it. And it just like, so often I feel embarrassed to be a musician when I like indulge in comparing myself to other people in cause it's so not about that. And I think you've achieved that. The best parts of unbuttoned Gen Z meditations, the best parts of some of the good fuck albums are comparable to the best parts of those early albums that people love. And they give you that same feeling and that same exact excitement of rawness experimental. And it just, it's a, I completely agree there. Hey. Yeah, it's, I remember yeah. one one time we were talking, and, and we don't even have to talk about this, but um, everyone was playing with the idea of doing another Captain Jazz album, and I I, I don't even really oh, yeah. want to. <laughs> what were your thoughts about that? I remember what you told me, but I I, did, I was curious about your thoughts. Oh, about that. I would I love the idea. Like I would do it in a second if it was realistic. Like I think it would be the coolest thing ever because it shows. It's not like a lame cat. If we made a cat and jazz record right now in which the four or five of us really were making the music that we want to hear right now and called it cat and jazz, that is like the ballsiest move in the world to me. And I think that'd be so cool. Um, it would be so lame if we tried to be like okay what would we have done when we were you know because we were 20 when i was 20 when we broke up so it would be so ridiculous if we were like okay what would we do what would we have done then but if you know 
if we made it now and it was like sounded great to us now and we called it that that would be the coolest that would be amazing it's not it's not uh you know, and being the singer of Captain Jazz is like the best job in the world. Like I would be doing reunion shows all the time and it wouldn't impede upon what I'm doing now. It would actually help because it would finance it. But um, it's just the combination of personalities. It's not possible. It's hard in a band to get everyone in the same room together, even harder to create at that moment. Yeah. I think one day it'll happen though. I really don't. <laughs> I wish it would. I mean, I think it would be if 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 someone was like, "Here's the money to lock you guys in a room for a month." It could probably happen. Oh well, me and Andreas are going to talk to you off pod then and um, find okay. out what that amount is, <laughs> and then we can yeah. get that going. What about while we're on that tangent? Your other projects, like Make Believe, such a like incredible political rock band, and Owls and. Obviously, Joan of Arc just released an incredible album. Do you see yourself wanting to play in the sphere of any of those other projects, or is it good fuck for for right now for the time? Yeah, being? it's good fuck for right now. Yeah. I've even like um, before the pandemic, you know, I got like a couple offers for like solo tours, and was just like, ah, sorry, I'm, I just do this band now. If you want the band to do it, then that sounds great. And then they just wouldn't write back. Um, but yeah, make believe. I mean, Owls is Captain Jazz for all intents and purposes, which is why part of why I think it would be so bold to make another one and name it that. Um, <clears throat> yeah, this is just like some real, like um, fundamental personality disconnects between some of the people. Yeah, I'm not the one that needs talking into it. I would, I would do it. It's um, yeah, it's tough. I, I I've talked to Mike about it too. It's like when something means so much to so many people, how do you recreate that same energy in the room? And yeah. other bands I've talked to about that as well. It's it's uh, it's not easy. But that's why I think it would be so cool to be like, we don't give a fuck about what you think about like this band of 19 year olds in 1994 like were these men who are closer to 50 than 40 <laughs> and this is what sounds good to us now you know it obviously wouldn't sound like a hard blues band at the hard rock cafe or something but what do you think it would sound like probably probably more like the second owls record than anything else but i think we would push it beyond that even that's five six years seven years old now so I have a thing I'm just going to read you taped up on the wall right above me. It says, details make it feel real. Remember how self-help audiobooks feel like programming a robot, a fracture in every line. Impressionism is the grammatical slippages and fractures in every single line. Dispense with all epiphanies, major and minor. Just straight up heightening of the ordinary, the ordinary, the ordinary, the ordinary, the ordinary. Apply that pressure. So the epiphany happens within the listener. Push right up next to each epiphany. Make that tension of transcendence ring with suspense, but never say the transcendent line. No pronouns. This will create Peter Marcus rhythms of repeating names and objects, giving everything the feel of primitive prayer. 
The repetition of phrases and images, themes with variations is what creates the weave, and the weave is what creates and sustains the mood. Each step is a spell, each element is a spell, the whole is a spell. We need to become as little children to enter the kingdom of this album. It's a Bible line. Uh, childish wonder and primitive execution. Repetition, but every articulation is different. Warped scale and wear and tear is everything. Near symmetry is always the key. Wow. So those aren't like, those aren't like the rules I live by or something, but those are the rules I live by this week for you are co-starring in an upcoming film i'm very excited about called firstness yeah that we talked about before you went and shot it you went and shot it is that the last time i saw you when you when you were in chicago and we were at rainbow yeah you were just getting ready to go out there that might have been two times before i saw you the last time you were getting ready to go to italy and then before that you Mm -hmm. were getting ready to go to arizona new mexico new mexico new mexico and um, yeah we had a crazy like the whole like year up until lockdown we were never in chicago for more than like two or three weeks so it was like a real hard hit in the brakes once we got here and then just stayed here because i mean it's our home but it's also like a place that we never spent more than two weeks in. also what excited me when you were taking on that project is you were sinking into that role as an actor which i always thought you would make an amazing actor just your face and your Italian Thanks. looks and just everything. But how did you apply a framework for preparing to that role? Or how did you go into that mm. to try to bring something? You know, the director and the producers of that were really amazing. Um, you know, it's not like uh, I wasn't like playing, um, you know, schizophrenic Spider-Man or something like the characters pretty close to me. So a lot of it was just remembering the lines and I made a playlist of me reading each scene out loud where I would put like um, a little drone very quietly under my lines. So I would read everyone in the scenes lines to myself. And then uh, when it was my line that I was saying, there would just be like a slight drone under it. And I just like, you know, at the gym or walking down the street, I'd just like be listening to that on my headphones for a couple months so that by the time we were shooting, it was all there in my head. And the director, I don't know if the part was written for me, but she's been a friend of mine for some years and she's a very deep, smart, but totally impulsive and wild in the best sense um, person. So I think she just knew like that I could do that. Like not, you know, I don't know know where schizophrenic Spider-Man came from, but it's not, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't a super challenge. It was a guy very much like me. There's a Um, sense of naturalism to the role. Um, I love when people cast that way. Yeah. Yeah, so it was just remembering what to say, but then also as we were shooting, she would did a lot of like, um, you know, pulling one person aside and saying like, hey, instead of this line, say this line. 
so so it's like we knew it well enough that when it came time to shoot a specific scene like it was just muscle memory what you were going to say but then she would also throw in these wild cards that you weren't expecting so that you would have to like respond um naturally and while in character and um yeah it was having gone through that month of shooting that i would never in a million years ever want to be an actor or do that again but also if she ever made another movie and i wasn't in it i would feel so bad <laughs> like i would love more than anything to return to that with that crew but it's it's yeah it's long tiring challenging work except for when it's really good makes it worth it you know and congratulations for finishing it i i see it's coming to the virtual portland international film festival this yeah. next month in march is that right or when does that premiere mm -hmm. yeah march 5th and then there's yeah i think it was really you know because they just had they've been talking to distributors and they have like a their plans and their goals for it and then i think the pandemic really just screwed up so much um you don't gotta tell me twice yeah <laughs> i'm sure you know exactly yeah have you been doing any virtual film festivals this year or anything I, i've unfortunately um or fortunately just came out of a four-day virtual sundance binge which was uh watching watching they went virtual for the first time ever this year 350 bucks gets you all access to 40 plus sundance first titles and uh i gotta say it was really fun oh that's cool a lot of great movies out there cool but you feel bad for filmmakers i feel bad for myself but also my friends and colleagues and other people have spent four or five six years on these projects and you want the big theatrical premiere you want the yeah. q a and everyone together and to have that um opportunity taken away is yeah. hard for people but i think sundance did a good job of making it feel exciting and making it feel uh Fun. Yeah, and this is nothing at all against the Portland Film Festival. Like, it's very cool it's premiering there, but there were a couple bigger festivals that Firstness was a finalist for that they were like, you know, wrote, I know of at least two very big festivals here, one here, one in Europe, that were like, if this was a normal year, we'd totally be programming this. And so that, that, really hurts because it's like that screws up the um potential distribution in the future and stuff you know where it premieres so tough year for indie film this year i've had you know from tribeca to all of these huge huge movies movies are getting somewhat sidelined right now which is just tough for people but um i encourage everyone listening to go and support virtual film festivals and tune in because you never know that may be your only opportunity to see the film but definitely not in first in this case. I think that will. And I know you've directed as well. I have my DVD of Orchard Vale deep oh. <laughs> in my DVD collection sitting next to my Joyful Noise lathe cut DVD. Oh, yeah. Of your War on One of You and other great uh, Tim Kinsella novels. 
Do you think you'll ever direct? I mean, I know you're directing music videos. All of your recent music videos have been really good. Do you, does anything inside you want to do another a film like that, like Orchard Vale or what have you? It just dawned on me too. Orchard Vale kind of predicted quarantine life. Oh God, it's so funny how like there was a moment in the spring where like everyone involved in Orchard Vale over like a two week period, like people that I talk to frequently still and people that I never talk to got in touch and we're just like dude we live in orchard vale now <laughs> it's like i know it's so crazy we made that movie in 2007 about this year yeah is there a way to watch the movie right now how can people watch that if they want to see I, what I Kinsella looks like as a feature film director i don't know maybe it's on youtube you gotta call I me mean, and come over and watch the dvd yeah no the uh you know my wife was the editor my ex-wife was the editor and producer and like just the uh getting it done and it, it was the opening night festival at the chicago underground film festival and then and other than that it screened in berlin once and tokyo once and nothing else but um we got that chicago underground film festival thing that date locked down before like color correction and sound were done. And I think just the stress of like, like whatever, I love my life and I love my wife and I'm not like, Oh, I should still be married to my first wife or something. But I'm saying like the stress of finishing that film on deadline is definitely a huge contributing factor to like our divorce. So when that was happening and it came time to like start selling the thing and getting it around, it was just like, man, who could be bothered? Like, it just like, we got it made. And now there's just like so much pain attached to like looking at it. So, yeah. It is a great film and every film <laughs> is like going to war and there's casualties and there's yeah. losses. And at the end of the tunnel, this great piece of work, um, stands by and now that I've realized it's about quarantine life I'm gonna rewatch it yeah. um, <laughs> and you know I bet I bet it would be really good if it was like it's often occurred to me more than anything else I've ever done it's occurred to me that I would love to go back and like redo it like I feel like the source material is there if it was 20 minutes shorter it would be amazing but um yeah Soderbergh's re-editing his stuff I, I think uh, Francis Ford Coppola re-edited uh, Godfather three during quarantine. I'm opening up oh, really? the edit of some of my stuff. Quarantine's a good time to find that hard drive, open up that edit, and, and uh, I'm I'm excited. I'm making my version of the wall. Yes, that's, that's wow. New, that's what the new good fuck is. Wow, I am so excited to hear this album. Well, thank you so much for joining. Yeah, no, thanks you so much, man. I'll give you a call late next week, and maybe we catch up just regular. All right, that sounds great. All right, thank you. Anything you want to plug before we go? Man, just new good, good fuck. fuck. I'm bad camp, but yeah. All right, have fun tonight. Make some funky music. All right, I'm about to. Thank you so much. Later, Tim. <laughs>